Welcome to the Mobile Game Dev Playbook. This podcast is brought to you in association with Game Refinery. Join us as we uncover the latest trends in mobile game design. Hello, and welcome to the Mobile Game Dev Playbook. Thanks for tuning in for another episode, and welcome to our first video episode as well. Very exciting. Um, didn't do my hair. Annoying. Didn't know. Um, so anyway, this is the uh, podcast, now video cast, that provides insights into what makes a great mobile game, what is and isn't working for mobile game designers, and all the latest trends. I am your host, John Jordan. So today's episode is, is uh, going to go into a really great depth into an area which uh, is actually undergoing a lot of sort of dynamic change at the moment, and that's looking at best practice around the creative strategy for being successful with ads and ad placements from a mobile game perspective. Um, and to talk about that, we have four experts kind of coming at it from two uh, sort of different angles. So we have the game development side and sort of the ad tech side. They're obviously part of the same, you know, both sides of the same coin, but 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 kind of broadly different approaches. So we're gonna kind of delve into that. Uh, we have two uh, people from Rovio and two from Bungle. So from Rovio, uh, we have a uh, Yusti Napuri, who is the Senior Performance Marketing Specialist leading the Small Town Murders game. How's it going, Yushi? Good to be here. Good. And also we have uh, Anne-Marie Pelkonen, who is the Performance Marketing Manager for the Angry Birds Dream Blast game. How's it going, Anne-Marie? Good, good. Thanks for inviting me. Excellent. So you're going to be kind of taking us through how, how you see this this kind of uh, you know very important part now of, of making a successful mobile game. Um, and on the ad tech side, um, from Bungle, we have uh, Gavin, who is Global Head of Creative Labs. How's it going, Gavin? It's good. It's good. Really uh, excited to talk uh, creative. And uh, Natalie uh, Southern from the uh, the Mobile Podly. That sounds a very e- excellent kind of job title to have. How are you? I'm very well, yeah, and I'm very pleased with that job title as well. It's great. <laughs> can, I, can I ask what is a what? Is, sorry, a motion pod. What is a motion pod? So, um, the motion pod at Bungle are a core group of uh, motion graphic designers, um, but we also focus on mainly the video units. But the entire VCL is broken up into little pods that we all collaborate with. So we have an interactive pod, a sort of beyond gaming pod. Um, so yeah, that's that's how our teams work. Uh, and that actually leads us kind of to the first question. So um, I think not being an expert in, in in this kind of area like you guys, um, but I kind of kind of kind of dabble. I kind of kind of drift in and out. I, I kind of occasionally hear things going on and what's going on in the kind of the this kind of space. And 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 terms are thrown around like get creative with your creative, which is a lovely buzz phrase. I kind of understand as a journalist that kind of that's great as a headline. Not entirely sure what it means <laughs> using creative in two in two different ways. So I kind of thought maybe to start off, we if we kind of um, kind of go around the uh, the panel and you can uh, talk a little bit from your perspective what what this kind of what does kind of creative mean and, and the term get creative with your creative. Maybe uh, Yusti, do you want to kind of go for us? We we'll go with, with the game developers first. Yeah. So creative is basically synonymous with um, an ad, so that we use the word to describe a video, a banner ad, or even a playable. So um, basically a very you know, a bit of a generalization of all of that. Anne-Marie? I think you'll see, you'll see put it well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no, no more additions. Uh, so, so Gavin, I guess uh, from, you're looking at it from a slightly different point of view in the sense that you're, you're the ad tech um, who kind of funneling into all these kind of, kind of clients. Um, what does creative mean from, from your kind of uh, perspective? Okay, so from my perspective, having been at Bungle and in the ad tech world for over nine years now. Creative has definitely gone through a lot of changes, but uh, Bungle Creative Labs, it's essentially what is in front of that user. 
It can be a video, an interactive experience, a 360 experience, a playable experience. Ultimately, it's about telling stories and engaging users to get excited about apps and games. We're already delving now into the second level of of of, uh, of, of kind of terms, 360s and storytelling. I guess we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, but uh, 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 Natalie, um, on the subject of creative. Yeah, absolutely. Like as Gavin was saying, it's like often it's the first thing that a user will see, so it really sets the tone for your brand. Um, so our job really is to get it right from the beginning to get the best chance of something converting to that person seeing an advert or as we say our creative um, and then downloading and enjoying that game i would also say and continuing to get it right for our advertisers <laughs> so i guess from from kind of the uh, from a very specific point of view uh, we have kind of uh, people who are who are kind of you know trying to uh, encourage people to to play and, and and download and and be engaged with their game so i guess yoshi from in terms of small town murder do you want to explain a little bit about what that game is um, and kind of the genre and, and how you've been kind of thinking about kind of your creative, now I, now I know the term, I can use it properly, um, your kind of creative process for, 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 you know, that kind of advertising. Yeah, yeah, uh, good question. So um, Small Town Murders is a narrative match three game and it's about kind of solving murder mysteries within a small town. Um, you meet a few characters and then kind of follow their journey. Um, when it comes to creative, uh, we kind of approach it in a way that what makes sense in the kind of the game's universe. Uh, so if it's about solving crime, um, you know, that can mean a lot of things about arranging evidence, you know, putting um, things together to catch different suspects and also using match three, but not necessarily always. So basically even when you're kind of maybe putting an alibi together, you know, maybe you're merging a little few pieces here and there. So then you can tie a merge mechanic uh, into that. So there's a lot of things we can borrow, a lot of things we can like come up with ourselves. And definitely when it comes to narrative, that's one of the most important parts uh, of the kind of the creative strategy that we're running. And how, did, how, how would that reflect in, in the kind of, in the creative that you do? Would you, Kind of very much because you've got characters, would you very much kind of focus on, on the characters and, and, and that would be your kind of way in? Yeah, yeah, we, we never want to make it too complicated. So, of course, we have um, 50 to 100 different characters, but we kind of focus on the ones that matter. Um, we also don't want to make the gameplay too kind of complicated. Uh, so, that's something that we always consider is that how can we, we use our kind of main mechanic in kind of the game to you know, tell a narrative. Okay, so um, Amory, you you have a I guess another a match three game, but um, a slightly sort of different. I guess I guess it has a characters and narrative, but not quite in the same way. So how do, how do, how do you approach it? Yeah, um, so Angry Birds Dream Blast is is one of our uh, biggest games. So uh, as you said, it's a it's a puzzle game, but it has kind of a very unique core in terms of that it's uh, very physics based. So um, the core is really the star of the game. Uh, we, of course, do have the Angry Birds IP and then we have the characters in there and there's some like kind of dream world and, and, and story in there in terms of events and all sorts of this this kind of stuff, but um, much less less a focus on the narrative compared to Small Town Murders then. And I, I guess for something working on a big IP like Angry Birds, that's great because people know what Angry Birds is. But I guess for you working on one specific game, there there is coordination between what the other Angry Birds games are doing that you're all 
you don't want to be sort of, I guess you've got to be sort of doing the same thing, but also, you know, you have a very specific game that you're working on in your Angry Birds kind of franchise. So how do you kind of uh, differentiate yourself? Yeah, like like you said, uh, the key is uh, differentiation between like if you're doing multiple games with the same IP, because we, we don't want to go after the exact same demographic and the exact same audience. Of course, there's going to be overlap um, because audiences are, Usually you're going after a broad, broad audience as well. Not very like super niche, but um, yeah, we, we want to make sure that there's, there's like a different look. It's a, like a different angle to the IP, etc. I mean, Gavin, from, from your point of view, um, what are the trends you're seeing? We've got a few things sort of mentioned now. I guess we know that ads, there's lots of different types of ads now. I guess we probably still kind of a bunch of banner ads and interstitials and now we have kind of cooler things like playables and um do you see any sort of trends in 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 that sort of uh in the way that ads are sort of uh being kind of deployed absolutely so um the space is definitely becoming more competitive more apps out there um really vying for users and ua buyers are getting a lot smarter and a lot more sophisticated especially in their creative strategy and the, the, the two words creative strategy it actually wasn't something we heard a couple of years ago but now we actually have a pod within bungle creative labs which is the creative strategy pod essentially what we're looking to do there is really understand the needs of our advertisers different advertisers have different needs let's say a hyper casual publisher that's churning out a good amount of apps every single month has very different requirements to let's say a legacy, a classic IP like Angry Birds, and they very much need a different type of creative approach. That comes from the type of creative you're producing. What is your objective here? Are you looking for scale? Are you looking for quality? Do you want to unlock new users in specific publishers? You can actually do that with creative strategy, but ultimately, and we really believe this, it comes down to the concepts. Um, And we're really seeing in the space, and especially with Game Refinery, these concepts can come from really interesting places. Just to add to that, like, uh, you know, what Gavin was saying about Game Refinery and um, talking about small town murders there, like, you know, I think for us, like a big, a big trend and the thing, the future of creative will be looking at those kind of user motivations. Um, So recently we were actually using uh, Game Refinery, the analysis tool there to look at small town murders. And one of the big things that's been coming up is around role playing. So I believe that like our interactive pod right now, they're working very hard on a playable that is sort of text-based and it'll be like a, an interrogation. Uh, so you can sort of be that role-playing detective um, interviewing a suspect. So it's kind of, uh, you know, how you come at a creative um, really depends on those initial motivations, comparing it to the game and also maybe the, the publisher that the user is also, you know, watching the ad in as well. In general, anyone can ask this. Are we seeing sort of playable ads? I mean, they've been around for for a few years in various forms. Are they? Are they? I guess they're kind of harder to do well because they're almost like making little games in and of themselves. But are they? Are they becoming like a, like a much more important part of kind of a, you know a gaining a, a a user who is really going to like the game rather than showing sort of the same ad to everyone? Yeah, like I, I could maybe go first on that. For Dream Blast, playables uh, have been maybe uh, a bit more important than than the average game. Um, it might be just because it's very easy to make playables comparably uh, to puzzle games than thinking of midcore or something else. Um, but I would say definitely uh, the playable 
has not taken over video. Video is still king. Like there's there's no doubt about that. But uh, there's certainly interesting developments happening with playables. Um, if you just like look into um, Facebook or Google, for example, what they're doing with with their playable betas, uh, whether it's cloud playables or just like bigger playables, um, the the whole venturing into a more immersive and more rich experience that is not just an ad. Uh, if we can say that, but it's it's like you said, an ex- it's an experience. It's a snippet of the game. You get a feel for it. So um, for for me, that's very interesting where where we can go with that. Um, but it might be that we're not there yet fully. Yeah, and maybe I can add to that is that when looking at a game like Small Town Murders, we're working with quite a few narratives. So when you have um, when you're using a lot of different narratives, a lot of different maybe game mechanics. You have your video, you know, that's going to have one element which needs to carry through into the whole, like, the game through the first-time user experience, through the App Store and the playable. So that has to be, like, really kind of solid. Um, And a lot of things can go wrong if you're kind of testing those elements too much. I guess at this point, I will ask the question because maybe other people are thinking about it. So so we have seen from some companies, I guess, a slightly elastic uh, um, kind of attitude to to playable ads and the content in the playable ads and the actual game. So um, now, obviously, this must work because otherwise they wouldn't keep doing it. But uh, um, I, I guess from from the game point of view, uh, you know, can you see why why people would would sort of you know kind of stretch the uh, the envelope a little bit of of, of the playable ad you're doing and, and the game just to kind of if, particularly I guess if they want to drive downloads. Yeah, I, I could definitely talk to that. So we actually have an internal. Uh, phrase for such creatives we call it atypical creative so it's essentially creative <laughs> atypical it deviates um from being representative of the core gameplay mechanic i think this trend is coming from a place though if you've noticed over time games are becoming more complex you see the rise of the meta game so you have a core gameplay functionality and then meta game that focuses outside of that so the decision then becomes, well, what do you want to focus on in your playable units? Like very likely, most advertisers will be going live with a playable experience that is very representative of gameplay. But you can also experiment with these mini games. The real question is actually, what, what do you actually select to focus on when it comes to these, these mini games? And we've actually done a series of testing around this. And while you can deviate from your core gameplay representation, you will see some negative impact there. So while you may see an uptick in, let's say, your conversion rate, there is a possibility that your retention might be down. Like obviously, if the user plays playable, they'll like it a lot, they download the game, and then are able to access that content, the retention is going to be quite poor there. So you need to really focus on what do you want to highlight here? And this is actually something that we've, uh, we've used Game Refinery for. You can be a bit more experimental with the themes of your game, but as long as you're really staying true to the core, the kind of motivations why the users like this game, you can actually really be a bit more elastic, as you say, um, with that content. Yeah, I can I can pick up here. Um, yeah, as Gavin was saying, it's like it's quite a balance um, with working with yes, yeah, as, as we call it, the atypical side of things, because um, one of our big challenges is avoiding fatigue. Um, with our users, um, and especially if they're seeing that same kind of advert a million times, they kind of know it's not going to be the actual game. Um, It can easily turn people off. But at the same time, um, that sort of atypical approach can really help with 
games that do have like a large IP like um, Angry Birds. Um, so, for example, um, we we were working on a playable um, for Angry Birds um, and our team decided to move away from the playable where you launch the birds at the sort of piggy base. Um, you know, we all know that that's what happens in the game. That's how it works. Um, however, like we kind of made it slightly atypical by reversing it, still very much keeping it in that world of that sort of, you know, that gaming universe. Um, but first off, you build up the base a little bit. So you kind of like construct the tower um, so instead of, uh, yeah, you're kind of like basically building it to make it resistant to the bird attacks. So if you have like a sound structure, the birds won't destroy it. And if, if you don't, it, it just gets completely wrecked. Um, and then to complement that, we made the video because as Amory was saying, video still is very powerful. So if you can have that video that sells in the narrative, then lead to a playable where the, the user can actually give it a go. And um, that seems to be like a really good approach for, for actually buying people into the narrative. And then, of course, yeah, we of, we obviously A, B test, you know, whether this is going to have an effect on retention or conversion um, and see and see what the effect is on the network. I think it's also um, it's interesting to know, and this is very much a trend that's emerging right now. You have these more atypical style creatives going out into the space and essentially the game developers are using them to test new gameplay features. It's obviously a little bit cheaper to build a playable unit, test out in the space, see if it actually gets an impact, and then build it as a feature to your app, especially if you're looking to kind of like have that long-term retention and looking to engage new users. It's really interesting and exciting development that you wouldn't have had a couple of years ago, the concept of doing your, your game dev via UA um, experimentation. It's pretty wild. Yeah, it's definitely super useful to use for marketability, like early marketability testing and, and just like verifying your, your game concepts. So like, as, as Gavin said, without pouring too much cost into them um, to start with. And um, I think really the motivation of going for the atypical or or we could say fake even <laughs> creatives is is keeping it fresh. Like you're, you're trying to get those users, but still um, it's a very, very tricky balancing act. Like Gavin said, like, do you want to do you want to lose on that retention or or those post install metrics? Good. As a uh, yes, it's very uh, euphemism. Atypical creative, isn't it? It's kind of. <laughs> I think Anne Marie said it like most people would think it, but there we go. That's it. Um, so th there was a kind of interesting uh, kind of aspect there. We've mentioned A/B testing, which I, which I guess kind of uh, people ha have an idea about. Um, um, but does someone want to kind of give an introduction into, into a little bit of kind of what A/B testing is? Because I, I guess it is. Yeah, I guess it started out. You'd have you'd have one version of something and another version, and see which one people like best. I, I imagine it's fairly more complicated than that now. <laughs> so. A/B testing is 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 very important to us, but very often people talk about it in very binary terms. You have an A creator, B creator. You set it live, in which everyone gets the most installs or conversion is is the winner. Really, we find you have to be a lot more granular um, than that. And this is something that Vungle really looked to do with um, our clients is get a real understanding of like, what are you actually looking to learn with A-B testing here? Which publishers do you want to test on? Are you aware of the percentage of expiration both of these creatives are going to get? Because that's, that's ultimately going to impact the results you're going to get. And I would always say, and this is kind of my own perspective, when it comes to A-B testing, there's kind of, a, there's very much an attitude I feel comes from kind of UX about when you do A-B testing, you kind of like move something a pixel over this way or slightly change the color. We actually find doing more significant tests becomes more impactful. 
So I would say be more granular with the data, understand what the objective of your A-B test is, definitely be more impactful with the change you want to have there, but also understand you will probably have to A-B test a lot until you find like your next hit or that next big change that's really going to disrupt your creative strategy going forward. So yeah, granular, impactful, except that it's not always going to work is how we would approach A-B testing. Yeah, yeah. And one one thing that I want to bring up is um, modularity in creatives. Uh, so that's something that you want to keep in mind when you're designing uh, creatives is that you have these variables that you can test, whether it's like match, uh, whether it's the gameplay, the characters, the narrative and card, um, all of that. So that you already like take the variation phase into like the kind of early phase of producing the creative so that there's lots of, you know, different things you can test and um, so you don't have to do that afterwards uh, with too much kind of um, difficulty. So designing creatives with mod- modularity in mind so that you can kind of test as many elements as possible. I would 100% agree with that. Um, we actually, there was an example that came up this this week. Uh, we were looking to produce a new playable for an advertiser that was looking to scale in the Japan market. We actually worked with them on some Japanese specific creative in the past and actually got our team in Tokyo to make some really nice anime versions of all of their avatars and stuff like that. And as we were designing the playable, we said, okay, well, we want to be able to have this dynamically localized with Japan and test the impact of that. And then obviously we want to be able to switch out the assets on the fly. So in Japan, you see those, uh, those manga assets. At the same time, we're thinking, hey, how do we use uh, like manga and anime is incredibly popular in the West as well. We can also test it with English language, but then with the with the Japanese artwork. So yeah, being modular, always considering uh, what you're going to test um, as you develop is also very important. And just to add on the developer side, uh, super important to also go into A/B testing with a hypothesis. Uh, and uh, I can't like this is the boring stuff, but documentation, like taking those learnings and implementing it back to your creative strategy, that's like super important in my opinion. So that's an interesting discussion and kind of leads on to my next question, which you've kind of, kind of, I guess, um, started to kind of peel into. But, uh, you know, where, where, when we're talking about kind of this kind of creative production, obviously sort of the, the game is the core because that's kind of the focus on, on what you're trying to get people to engage with. But clearly it seems, you know, the where the creative comes from and, and, and how, you know, that may kind of vary on particular campaigns or something. But how, how do you sort of... From the yeah you know, the the game developer point of view and the sort of ad tech kind of provider point of view, yeah, you know, where, where does the kind of creative, uh, you know, the actual who who you know who makes that sort of strategy? Where does that come from? Does that depend a bit on the game and, and the developer and where you are in, in the in the kind of process, or is that something always that the developer will kind of go, well, we're not really we're good at making games, we don't really want to, you know, um, sully our, 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 our pure hands with this advertising kind of creative stuff and, and hand it all over to, to, to the ad tech people. How, how, how does that work out? I guess, Gavin, maybe, or Natalie, maybe you can kind of, uh, from your point of view, how, how do you see that? Uh, I think it's, um, you know, it's a relationship. Um, and I mean, we, we have a, a creative account strategy pod for this reason is that we want to kind of, the stronger our relationship is with, um, you know, the, the, the clients and, you know, our advertisers, um, sometimes the more free, uh, will they give us with with their creative um and i often find out that this is this is the this is the way that we get the the most out of it whether it means that we internally um build the creative and make it for them or else we can advise um on you know what we see is like the, um the best way uh, that they could move forward um with with their creatives that they make um and i think for us like 
for our creative and for our process, it really starts with our team. As I said, like we're broken down um, into the pods and having different people from different pods all in the same room or really on the same Zoom call as it's been right now. Um, but yeah, that's when the magic really happens. And so you can then sort of pitch ideas to the to the um, advertiser or often, you know, like the people they work with, they kind of feel that, you know, um, they want to trust us and that's why we set up these things like these tests um so we might be testing against a concept that they have um and yeah it's, it's a really good way to to sort of build out those hypotheses and just build on each other's work yeah i would i would say from from the vungle side we have a bit of an advantage over some of the developers we work with namely being we produce creative for thousands of apps and games in addition to that we have an understanding on how they performed on the vungle network so that very much informs the decisions we take with creative. But now with, with Game Refinery, we're actually getting way more insights into what is performing where on the Vungle network and which publishers, which advertisers, what elements of those advertisers you sign to see shared across advertiser, publisher, and then also in the, in the creative. It means that we're able to not only come to our clients with that knowledge and say, hey, we think you should do X, Y, and Z because we've made a couple of creatives in the past and they seem to do quite well. We can actually pinpoint, we believe this is why this specific creative is appealing to users in this specific publisher because there's something about this creative that's resonating with your app, but then also the users in this app. How can we pinpoint on that and how do we represent it with creative? Like, it's basically a lot of data. But at the end of the day, it's got to turn into something beautiful. It's like it's it's art and science. So uh, we really look forward to kind of like working with our clients to kind of like find that balance. Do you have the ability? I mean, do you prefer to do it in house, or are you quite happy to hand it over to someone else? What's the balance there? UA is usually kind of the source of our creative strategy and ideas, but we understand that when you kind of concentrate that kind of ideation into a very small group, you know, that's where the the risk starts to come because, you know, we're all kind of boxed in, in our own ideas. So we try and like, you know, collaborate with a lot of, you know, people from the game team, whether it's kind of art, art team, kind of designers, narrative writers, and we all kind of get together to kind of really discuss those and kind of deconstruct our creatives. Um, because when you have a lot of people, you know, you can then kind of uh, measure kind of the, imp like you can see the impact and, you know, how people are feeling for this concept and that concept. Um, I think it's, uh, it's, we have been kind of doing a lot of outsourcing, so we have both, we do it internally as well, but I think what we're seeing is that there is kind of the, the creative team is becoming ever more important in like, and that developers can like, you know, produce their own creatives really quickly as well. And kind of, um, kind of, um, cause of course outsourcing can, you know, take quite a lot of time. Um, so that's something that we're doing as well and focusing on. Do we, uh, Amory? Did I, I guess kind of um, have a? There's still sort of some sort of pure concept that that kind of game developers sit there and they spend all their time very focused on their game and the designers designing things and the artists making art and programmers putting it all together and 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 um, and things like advertising. Just like oh, you know, we we don't really do that. I mean, is, is that sort of um, kind of pigeonhole kind of stereotype breaking down now? And actually, because I guess a game team is what's the game to be successful, and if they if they can make the advertising better and the UA better, then why wouldn't they? I mean, are they people generally kind of quite broad-minded towards that? Or is there still a little bit of like a, we don't do that sort of thing. We just focus on the, the actual game bit. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm super happy to say that with, with Rovio, we don't have those kind of uh, pigeonholes or silos anymore so much. Uh, and we're actually, uh, we have a very... Um, very eager game teams in, in that perspective to participate a lot in, in, in the creative strategy and like in like know and be very in tune with what's happening on, on the ad side. So, so that's great. And we've always said that the ideas can come from anywhere as long as someone kind of holds the keys to the car so that we, we maintain focus and, and the pipeline works. Um, that's, that's super important. Um, uh, to add to Yusuf's comment that um, what we do want to do is definitely try and learn from our uh, network partners, uh, especially for that reason, what Gavin said, because of the wider visibility. Of course, we can benchmark, uh, et cetera, on, on the developer side, but just having that conversation and, and change of change of knowledge is super important as well. There is, I don't know if it quite counts as the as an elephant in the room sort of thing, but we've been talking of kind of kind of how how this kind of creative thing is you know created and and and, and kind of attracts people into games and, and we're kind of uh, trying to bring our kind of users in, into into the kind of the narrative of what's going on. Um and a lot of that is is kind of I guess predicated on on this big kind of technology UA stack that that has been you know created over the last ten years. It's a beautiful thing. It really helps game developers kind of you know, spend their advertising in the right way. Um, unfortunately, it appears to some degree to be going away. So um, so we've got this kind of idea that Apple's uh, kind of changing its, its kind of privacy settings. This whole other thing about the kind of IDFA um, sort of uh, now being opt in rather than, uh, uh, than than being kind of a default on. Um, obviously, it's kind of just just happening now with, with the release of uh, iOS fourteen point five. So you know we don't, we don't really know what's happened yet because it hasn't happened yet. But um, I guess on a, on a general point of view, do do you think that um, uh, how do you think that's going to play out? I, I've kind of seen like a spectrum of of kind of uh, attitude from people thinking it's, it's a total disaster and, and and basically the whole thing's up in up in flames. To some people kind of thinking, well, you know, it's, it'll be a it'll be a kind of a, a bit of a kind of bump in the road for a few months and then back to normal. I, I guess probably somewhere between those two things. But does anyone want to kind of uh, Gavin? You're nodding your head. You, you can go first. I mean, how, how do you? I imagine Vongo, you spent a lot of time thinking about this sort of stuff and, and planning around it. It's de it's definitely come up in discussion. I will <laughs> I will admit that. I will admit that. I would say creatives can have to work a lot harder. But to be honest, we've been moving in that direction already. You've seen it in the space. Things are becoming more competitive. There's only so much, especially for a UA manager, you can do with like bids and targeting. And I think this is why there's been more and more of a focus on creative production, producing the right creative. How do you hit your, your target, um, target users? We've approached this in a couple of ways. That we're feeling pretty happy with our first least testing results on this. One way we're approaching this kind of post-IFA world is essentially, can you target via a creative? Which is kind of a weird, weird thing, right? But what, we, what we've looked to do here, and we've actually done this with a couple of like non-gaming advertisers. So essentially, an ad unit, a video experience appears, and you ultimately have a choice. And we've done this for, uh, for TikTok recently. So you go, hey, do you, like, uh, do you like cat videos or do you like dog videos? I know Nat and I were both cat people, so we probably both picked the cat. But essentially, the rest of the video experience is now um, relevant to that specific user. You could do the same thing with, let's say, you have a uh, mid-core game which has a metacore element. You could have, which do you prefer? Is it the is it the core game or is it the meta game? You're able to start doing some targeting there. And then also, when you're tracking those analytics events, you're starting to understand more of the decisions being uh, being made there. I think something that we feel quite happy about um, with this new world is the uh, the zombie metric of CTR 
may be getting put down in the grave yet again. There was definitely a push where you were seeing like CTRs getting higher and higher. We're hoping that with some greater transparency there, um, we're going to see more focus on the content, really showing users something that excites them, engages them and makes them click to download and ultimately play. Because ultimately, privacy and transparency is something all of us in the industry should really welcome. Um, so looking forward to um, this niche world in which we occupy, I guess. And from the Rovio point of view, how, how, how uh, have you had any sort of a company discussions and, and thoughts about how you're going to, are you going to kind of just wait to see what happens or are you kind of taking new strategies when it comes to, you know, spending your ad money and, and getting the people that you want, which may be harder now? Yeah, definitely. We've had discussions on the Rovio side as well. Um, yeah, we, we've been trying to prepare a lot. Um, and I think... Um, Someone said that uh, you should not be in UA if you're prone to panic. So uh, this is not the first or the last uh, difficulty or bump in the road that is going to come. So uh, we're going to try and do our best to live in the new environment. Um, of course, this is going to be uh, unfortunate in terms of granularity and in terms of what we're going to be seeing on a creative level, especially if we think about um, networks on a, on a wider scope. Um, but then again, this is an opportunity also um, to to invest a bit more in creative. And um, okay, this is such a cliche, but being more creative with your creative, <laughs> so <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, it's a it's an opportunity. Also, it's it's not only a panic situation. And I guess it's actually you know it seems to be some suggestion that that companies like Rovio that have a very large audience. Um, and and has kind of lots of games using the same sort of characters. Maybe maybe you know you, you at least one thing you can do is kind of cross promote. I'm sure you do a lot of that anyway. But 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 it seems like kind of that seems to be kind of one obvious strategy that if you have people who are really interested in characters and different types of games to promote those amongst your own uh, titles is, is is kind of the 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 most obvious way of of not worrying about who exactly these people are because you know they already kind of love your games. Yeah, yeah, we we do cross promo, so so that's at least something that uh, we'll still have. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I think on the, on the network side, especially uh, when we think about contextual targeting, so uh, all the knowledge that you have already gathered during the past years, maybe uh, about what genres, what publishers, what what sort of like device mixes everything in in that ballpark works for you, the better you're off. Good. Okay. So I guess we're sort of coming to the end. It's been a good time to kind of kind of sum up. I, I guess um, we may maybe you may be kind of um, talking again about some other things you've kind of mentioned in the podcast. But kind of how, how do how do you see for the next kind of well I guess where we are now uh, for the next kind of six months or so in twenty twenty one how how do you see um, kind of the role of of, of creative um, changing? Is it going to be you know broadly kind of what we we've seen before? Is it going to be an acceleration maybe because of things like IDFA? How, how do you see that playing out? Yushi, how, how, do you, how do you think you're going to be kind of addressing this for, for small town murders? Yeah, so I, I think that we're going to see a lot of developers stepping outside the box with their creatives. Um, now that kind of we've seen the wave of misleading creatives over the last two years, you know, I think that's just going to continue. And, you know, developers have to kind of, um, you know, keep their creative strategy fresh. You know, and I, at least for small town murders, we're doing that by kind of um, understanding that sometimes, you know, broad targeting can work better. So making creatives that really kind of appeal to uh, the whole population and not just kind of a niche of players that we know monetize uh, well. 
or kind of really connect with our game. So that's a kind of an, an art in itself is that how you make a creative that you know anyone can kind of connect to. Uh, and maybe we're, we're working on that with kind of the narratives and more kind of storytelling within our ads. Yeah, I, I have uh, something to um, follow up on that to, with the um, taking, I, th- I think a lot of creatives are going to take more inspiration from what's around us. Um, I have an example actually about small town murders um, because so during the lockdown, uh, it was at the time that everyone was talking about Tiger King. We were actually um, brainstorming ideas for small town murders. And that game, as Yusi was saying, was that, you know, the main creative ideas are usually around like finding clues and going through suspects and sort of trying to find the murderer. Whereas we wanted to flip the script on that and uh, flip the script is is such a great term. Um, (laughs) But, you know, they have this fantastic sort of femme fatale character. Um, So we wanted to maybe look uh, at doing the creative from the murderer's point of view. And I don't want to say any, like name any names just in case I get sued. Um, (laughs) But there is, uh, we did put in the uh, potential of uh, disposing of evidence by using a tiger. Uh, So if anyone's (laughs) watched Tiger King, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, But yeah, I think those kind of things, taking inspiration, um, just, you know, as I say, finding different angles of how you could present that creative while still keeping it in the world, you know, still not completely going full atypical. Um, I think that that will continue to be the trend. Kevin? I, I would say from my side, you're going to see an increased focus on granular contextual data, which oddly I think is actually going to make the world more creative, which is kind of an odd thing to, to say. But we're really seeing it, having a better understanding on why users are playing games, what do they like about them, how is that representative and creative, actually means you're going to get better, more exciting creative that really starts communicating messages, makes our space a, a lot more enjoyable. I actually have a little anecdotal story here. We actually started producing, we've uh, recently made a, a video for a merge style title recently, and actually utilizing Game Refinery really kind of identified a lot of their publishers and a lot of their users really like this kind of like thinking and solving motivation. So we produced like this video where in the standard merge, got to like kind of like identify what you want to merge around rather than just showing that happening we did like freeze frame basically says you know like in american football where the coach like he kind of like draws down and he's like you're going to go up this side and you're going to go down that side and then we'll tackle that guy so we have the similar sort of thing but with like the drawings on the screen saying i'm going to merge this over here this over here and that was really impactful actually it brought to mind something that happened during lockdown i ended up playing a lot of Resident Evil 2 over Christmas, instead of spending time with my family. And I realized the most enjoyable part was sitting with my girlfriend and pausing the game, looking at the map and saying, okay, we want to go from here to here. want to avoid this zombie here, put this, this herb in this box and then come back around. It was really that element that was uh, appealing to me. So it's like, hey, that's crazy that we're understanding that element is appealing to this specific user, how do we represent that? So as I say, more granular contextual data is going to make the world a lot more creative. Takes me back a long time to look at the map in Resident Evil 2. Well, um, okay, uh, Emery, how, how do you see things playing out this year? Uh, yeah, like Gavin said, uh, really knowing who is your audience, at least the core of it, um, making sure that your creatives are able to appeal also to the broad audience since we're not really doing so much very targeted targeting <laughs> anymore um and then what else maybe maybe going there's going to be more 
weight in in terms of developing bigger concepts and instead of focusing on variations because i i think that's just gonna bring bigger results and uh make more sense in in this new normal that we're going into <laughs> lovely excellent Thank you for that. And I've got a new to now going full atypical. Should be somehow a meme. I don't quite know what that meme would be. I don't know how you get a cat going full atypical, but I'll think about it. Um, maybe do some A-B testing. Um, okay, uh, thanks very much to uh, the panel. We've covered a lot there. Um, I hope it's been uh, interesting. Certainly, I've learned a lot. So thank you, uh, Gavin and Natalie from Bungle. And so thank you, uh, Yushi and Amory from uh, uh, Rovio. Um, and thank you uh, for listening and, and, and watching the, uh, the podcast. Um, every month we're, we're kind of diving into the into aspects of, of mobile games, which is an incredibly dynamic sector. Lots of things going on. We always kind of say lots of things going on. And next month there's even more crazy things going on. Um, so hopefully we're kind of providing some good insight and, and helping you make some decisions. So don't forget to subscribe. Um, through the podcast channels of choice and I guess now through um, video podcast channels of choice as well and, and if you're feeling very generous um, reviews are great we, we, we take reviews uh, if they're good ones um, and uh, yeah thanks very much for uh, watching and listening and come back next month to see what we're talking about then goodbye <laughs>